Welcome to Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. My special guest today is NKU alumni, veteran, and who continues to serve for all Kentucky residents, but we'll get into that just a bit. First, thank you so much. Welcome to the show, Tackley Acquire, for taking time to discuss your living history. Sir, just to get us started, can you please just state your name and the branch of service that you served in? Sure, Chris McDaniel, and I served in the United States Army. Thank you very much. And of course, your uh, military history went a little bit different path. How did you originally get started into the military? So um, originally, I had hoped to go to uh, West Point, um, but uh, I graduated from Covington Latin School when I was 15. And so I did not make the age cut to um, apply to West Point. And so uh, I, I was interested in a military school, so I applied to the Citadel. And they took 16-year-olds, and um, I turned 16 on July the 19th of, two, or of 1993 and um, reported on August the 5th to the Citadel. That is awesome. So um, my guess is that you made the decision early on, at that early age, that you were planning on a military career or spend some time in the military. Is that correct? I had a pretty good idea that I would. Um, certainly, uh, like any 16-year-old, there, there's a little indecision about what your life holds ahead, but uh, certainly was strongly inclined that way. Absolutely. Could you just kind of explain how you end up at the Citadel, what that was like, and what that led to? Yeah, sure. So um, the Citadel is considered a major commissioning source, but technically your commission is still through ROTC, uh, not uh, one of the service academies. Uh, I believe there's five major commissioning sources. So consequently, I was not old enough to get an Army scholarship my first or second year uh, at the Citadel, but uh, was old enough by year three to do so. Um, and so uh, honestly, it started... Uh, we, I remember watching a program on a Saturday morning, I don't even remember what it was, with my dad, mm -hmm. and um, there were cadets drilling, and I said, well, what, what's that? And he said, well, that's the Citadel. It's a military school down in South Carolina. And one thing led to another, and we went for a visit, and uh, I absolutely fell in love. Um, and then I got there, and of course, as with anything related to the military, you develop a bond with the people around you. Um, I just had my 25th uh, class reunion wow. not long ago, wow. and, and you see the guys, and. Uh, largely pick up like it was yesterday. Absolutely. I, you know how that goes. And so, um, you know, uh, went through there. Um, after my sophomore year, I was old enough and uh, received a slot to airborne school. Uh, ended up being what they call baby airborne. I was the youngest person <laughs> in the class, as, uh, not 18 years old yet. Um, but uh, that was a great experience. And then uh, obviously on through commissioning. That, and that's the piece that I think that a lot of people don't understand. So ROTC being Reserve Officer Training Corps, and when you go through like a Citadel, which is primarily focused on military training, then there's other avenues, local schools that you can go through ROTC as well. But with the Citadel, once you graduate, are you already signing on the line to be a commission officer, or how does that work compared to other ROTC schools? Yeah, so... Um, 
the interesting thing with the Citadel is you have the option to join or not join the service as a commissioned officer. And they offer scholarships, and then they also offer contracts. So I knew guys that uh, were on a four-year full ride. The day we showed up, they had signed on. And, and unique to the Citadel, too, is you all operate as the same Corps of Cadets, but people are branched into the various branches. You know, So, I mean, there were guys, once again, on day one that had full rides from the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine Corps. I'm not sure how the Space Force necessarily works at this point, right. but um, that's how it was when I was there. But there were guys like me who were on two-year scholarships, and then there were other folks who just simply signed contracts to join when they graduated. And then, yeah, I mean, literally you went from graduation, went to uh, the barracks, put on your Army uniform, and put your right hand in the air, and swore in an hour later. See, that's so, so really interesting, and that, that's one of the reasons I was leading up to that question, because I was a little bit confused about that too, because I've, I have met uh, commissioned officers in the Air Force, because I was an Air Force guy, uh, that mm -hmm. went through the Citadel, and I didn't know how it broken down like that. So you had basically chosen then to follow your career through the Army, is that correct? Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. and what did you do in the Army, sir? I was an infantry officer. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when you go through ROTC, then you didn't have to go through another commissioning source, so no additional basic training, even though we could argue that four years of basic training is what you went through. Um, what was your next step after you commissioned then? Yeah, right. So you, you, you hit the nail on the head. So for most ROTCs, you have a six-week, um, I, I don't remember what they call it, but basically cadet basic training, um, which coming through a major commissioning source, you don't have to uh, pursue that avenue. You just you go straight on into your regular training. So like I said, I did airborne school um, in between junior and senior year. I'm sorry, sophomore and junior year. And then in between junior and senior year, I did uh, cadet troop leadership training, which is, you know, the service academies do that as well. And uh, as well as uh, what we called advanced camp at that point in time. Then uh, graduated, had two weeks, and then the infantry officer basic course started up. And where was and that and all that, sir? Fort Benning, Georgia. Okay. And uh, what was that experience like and how long was that? So IOBC was four months. Um, it was a great experience. Uh, a, a lot of it was a, a bit of a recap of things that um, we had learned previously, but a lot of it was very, uh, a lot more advanced. Mm -hmm. uh, everything from basic leadership principles to land navigation to um, overlapping uh, lanes of fire, you know, fire directions, all, you know, coordination types of items in preparation for serving as an infantry platoon leader. Absolutely. And after you completed your training, where did you end up? And so uh, I finished Infantry Officer Basic, then I had the uh, Bradley Fighting Vehicle Leaders oh, wow. Course, okay. which was there as well. At, at the time, um, we had just started fielding the second generation of Bradley Fighting Vehicles, um, and ultimately I was assigned to the 3rd Infantry Division at Fort Stewart, Georgia. In Fort Stewart, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And how was that experience in Fort Stewart? Uh, it's, it's always interesting being in a heavy division in the middle of a swamp. Right, absolutely. <laughs> it led to a, a lot of very interesting times, um, but you know, once again, got to uh, make a um, easy rotation out to the National Training Center in the, the middle of the summertime, which uh, once again, uh, a heavy division in the middle of the desert. It's, it's a lot more nice open area, but uh, the dust brings its own um, challenges to the equipment at that point in time. Absolutely. And I'm sorry, sir, what, about what time frame was that? Oh, that would have been... I remember the rotation number was 9908, so I think that was 2000. Around 2000 time frame. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I remember 9908, but <laughs> things stick with The it. things that you remember, yeah. right? The things that you remember. And so after Fort Benning, what, what led next? 
What was your next So um, actually, initially I had thought that I would join the chaplaincy um, mm -hmm. and headed that route for a bit, but uh, decided not to stick with that route. I, I went to the seminary for a while, but uh, was also at home pouring concrete with the family's business Absolutely. and uh, decided to stay home and mm -hmm. uh, work in the family business. And how did, uh, did that kind of lead you? Because I'm getting to the point where you come to NKU, yeah, uh, North Kentucky yeah. University. Did that kind of lead you into that program then? Yeah, so my father uh, encouraged me um, to work on uh, an MBA. Mm -hmm. And um, so in 2002, uh, I started going to night school at NKU in the summertime and went through December of 2004 when I graduated with my MBA. So I would finish work at the concrete company and then, you know, NKU was actually on my way home. I'd yeah. stop at an NKU, go to school for a couple of hours and then head home. Absolutely. Absolutely. And why did you end up choosing NKU? Was it just because of the location then? Yeah, well, it was primarily a, a convenience thing. At that point, the uh, MBA program had to start to develop a, a good reputation as Absolutely. well. Um, the night school was convenient for my schedule. Um, and then, you know, the, the professors, there were a lot of adjuncts um, at, at that point in time. I mean, uh, I remember the guy that taught my... Um, finance class was the CFO of a manufacturing company. Of course, we had uh, Dr. Kate for economics, you know, who, who was just a legend in, in, in his own right and an Army veteran as well. And, uh, you know, so it, it just, the, the overall mix worked. And it was interesting because um, at the same time that I was attending uh, NKU, my sister was going to Notre Dame for her MBA. Wow. And um, she, had, she had an excellent education as well and has done extremely well for herself. But uh, I, I was always proud that uh, I would learn something at night and wake up the next morning and apply, apply it, it in the real world. And right. uh, so that was a, a nice thing about the NKU MBA. Absolutely. And uh, you have, with you graduating at the age of 16 from high school, from Covington Latin and going to the Citadel, you had very much a powerful experience throughout kind of your youth and adulthood leading into your success. Do you contribute your military time to the success that you have today? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's a, a quote from Julie Andrews that my mom sent me when I was at the Citadel. because uh, something like, um, for some, some people view discipline as kind of a chore for me it is an order that sets me free to fly there you go. and um, that's always been that way for me and I think uh, the Citadel uh, probably starting at Covington Latin through mm -hmm. the Citadel and on into the Army um, certainly helped me establish the the uh, scaffolding uh, of discipline that, that's allowed me to do a lot of the things I get to do now absolutely and I'm just kind of curious if you could go back before you step on campus in the Citadel what advice would you give yourself Take time to enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. Don't be so focused on what you want the outcome to be. Um, because I, I loved every minute of it. But there, you don't appreciate at that point in your life how much flexibility you really have and how much freedom to go and do and see. And um, certainly, um, while I had wonderful experiences, I got to go to numerous places. I got to go to Washington, D.C. as kind of a lobbying efforts on the Hill when I was wow. a cadet. and. Um, got to go and, and I met ambassadors. I served as a presidential aide. So I met, uh, at the time it was General Bolton who had just come back from the commanding a mission on the International Space Station, ultimately ended up being uh, 
the head of NASA, I met um, General Downing, the Special Operations Command commander, I met many United States senators and governors and things. And, um, you know, it, it, so I had wonderful experiences, um, but just to have really enjoyed that a lot, uh, you know, and, and appreciated it even more. Um, I think you appreciate your youth a lot more when you're middle-aged. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And obviously you're very, very successful in today's world. When you left the military, was there any type of transitional struggles or anything, or is there any tips, tools, advice that you could give someone that might be getting out of the military that are, that's looking to have also a successful career? Yeah, um, transitional struggles were immense, um, and still to this day in a way that they are. But, you know, it's a life experience. Um, and you, you, when you live a missional life, like you get to do when you're in the military, we all, we all love to complain about it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, every, yeah. everybody loves to complain when, when you're in service, but ultimately there's a, there's a missional component that exists in your core. And um, as you transition to the civilian sector, you miss that, and you miss the camaraderie, the, the things that you hated most, right. you know, the, the mud and the sweat and the hard work and vehicles being stuck and broken down and, you know, being up for days on end. Um, you miss those things. Um, but certainly you have to realize that uh, the civilian sector has its own level of calling. And, um, you know, do, doing things with excellence is a service in and of itself. Absolutely. And um, so, uh, you know, my, my biggest tip to anybody transitioning would be find, you know, um, find something that you can be successful at. Find something that provides for your material needs as, as well as things that fulfill you um, on the inside. I, um, I, for 10 years, I coached kids uh Little league teams for my children. I, I coached soccer, t-ball, baseball, basketball um, for almost ten years straight. I had one kid or the other in something that I right. I coached or uh, served on the board at church or um, professional societies or any number of things where you can go and contribute to the greater good. And um, those things are always helpful. Absolutely, I and mean, some great tips and tools and advice for sure going forward. I'm curious if there's anything from your military time that you kind of still miss today. Oh, so many things. Right. Um, it all boils down to the people. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember, like yesterday, the first time I was up in an aircraft and they, and they said, stand up, hook up. And I can remember <laughs> I, looking in the eyes of the person across from me like it was yesterday. And left to my own devices, Alone in that plane, I don't know that I'd have done it. <laughs> but when the guy to your left and right's doing it, you do it. Right. You know, um, I can I can remember the first time you know rappelling out of a helicopter and, and you know the, the the rappel master having a hold of you and, and sending you down that line, and you're thinking, what did I sign up for here? You know, um, but just you know the the wonderful people. You just you you never forget that. You know, and in times when. Uh, you're wet, you're cold, you're scared, you're hungry, you're, you know, uh, adrenaline is flowing. The people that are around you, you just never forget. And, uh, and the experiences you get to have. I mean, one of my, my best friend um, who is still in um, is coming in for the Kentucky Derby. He's going to stay with us here shortly, you know. And so I, I'm cherishing and uh, relishing the idea to see him again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, part of this podcast, it, it kind of goes out to all, but it's um, kind of focused on... Um, veterans and also people thinking about joining the military and also kind of just grow that military civilian divide. If you had any advice for those that are kind of on the fence maybe thinking about joining the military and not sure about it, what kind of advice would you give them? Do it. 
Do it. Walk down right now and sign your name on the dotted line. You will never regret it. Um, it is it is an experience that is rewarding in ways that you can't appreciate until you've done it, um, and leaves you with indelible marks. Um, some of them tough, um, but all of them irreplaceable. And I cannot. Um, and, and the, the thing is, Rusty, as you know, it's not like you sign up for the military and there's only one thing to do. I mean, the military has got musicians and athletic teams and engineers and computer people and special operations folks and civil affairs and chaplains and pilots. And there is no career that you could ever think of. I mean, astronauts, mm -hmm. you know, there's no career you could possibly want that the military is not there to facilitate in some way. And so, and, and it's something, uh, you just simply can never replace that kind of experience. And there comes a point in time, like us, where you're just too old anymore. There's a, there's a limited time frame <laughs> where the nation calls upon you for your service. And, um, you know, if you're even remotely thinking about it, walk down and do it today. Well, I appreciate you, you saying that. I think the skill sets that you build not only from a job standpoint, but the supplemental skills, the additional skills in addition is something that you truly do learn a lot through going through like an ROTC program at the Citadel, uh, being an Army officer, or just joining the military in general. And it, I'm putting, kind of putting words in your mouth, I shouldn't do this, but it, it just, from talking to you, it sounds like, especially your time in the Citadel, being able to go to D.C. and uh, experience that, did that kind of lead you into the route that you are as a Kentucky Senator today? No, not at all. Not at um, all. It, it, it left, uh, between the, the Citadel and the, my Army experience, it left me with a complete disdain for politics. Gotcha. Um, I, I had no desire to be in, on, and around. Uh, politicians were folks that, uh, when they came to town, we, you know, all had to press our uniforms and shine our boots and march in parades and uh, things like that, and that just wasn't my thing necessarily. But, um, no, I got into this um, in 2003. Um, and I will remember it, like I say, like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, I got an email, and I had one of my classmates' names in the subject line. I was like, oh, I wonder what he's up to. And he had gotten killed in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. And um, it was just, it was a moment, right? And it was like, whew. And subsequently, um, between that and IOBC, I lost six more friends. Uh, in my time in the infantry, right. um, I lost six more friends in, in the overall nature of it. And, um, you know, I... I uh, thought, well, what can I do to help? And, and Jeff Davis was running for Congress. As you remember, Congressman Davis was a West Pointer and a Ranger and an aviator. And I thought, you know, this is a guy who gets us. He just, he's lived the life. And ultimately, those are the people, I mean, life and death decisions, when they start to come home to roost at 26 and 27, right, you begin to think about them a little more. And, and um, I thought, that's the kind of guy who, who makes that decision on behalf of this nation. Is it important enough for them to not come home? Right. And um, so anyway, um, I just I showed up and started walking door to door for Congressman Davis. And um, I found myself complaining about the, the this's and the that's of politics. And you know, I used to have an XO in the Army, and um, we'd be in staff meetings, right? XO's executive officer, and we'd be in these staff meetings, and, and he would and somebody'd say, Well, they said this or they said that, and he'd just be like, Who is they? Give me a name. Who is they? And um, 
literally I, one morning I was like, oh, they're doing this and they're doing that. And I said to my, I was like, who's they? And I could just hear Major Mon like it was yesterday, <laughs> right? And I thought, you think this is a democracy? You think it's so great, hotshot? They is us. Put your hand in the air. And so anyway, um, I honestly thought that I would run for city council or something like that, just get involved and, and, and be involved uh, civically. And the sitting senator from this district uh, retired and some friends who knew that I was thinking about running for office said, well, you should run for the state senate. And I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, that's the state senate. I couldn't win something like that. And uh, here I sit 10 years later, that's right? Awesome. Um, so no, that's, that's kind of how that came about. And we're all thankful that you are still sitting here 10 years <laughs> later and greatly appreciate well, it. Well, some are so, and some are, so <laughs> I try to do my best. Um, not to put, bring Frankfurt into it, but uh, is there any special items occurring here in Frankfurt that you want to discuss or share at this time? You know, I think that it's more a general premise kind of idea here. Um, and what I mean is, is this. No one is going to write an article today about the fact that trash got picked up in Highland Heights, Kentucky. <laughs> but, but elected city leaders oversee the services that get your trash picked up. But let that trash go without pickup for five or six weeks, and there's going to be a whole lot of people that are really concerned about it then. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. And so it's city governance level which has the most direct impact. You hear the least about your governance. And then county, a little bit more. And then, the, and then the state, a little bit more. And then ultimately, federally, you hear a ton about what's going on. But when you stop and break down through the noise and what really impacts your day-to-day -day life, right, that by and large happens at the state level down through the city level. And so the importance of people understanding what's going on, more than anything, is really critical in, in, in giving that in, in input and that feedback. Um, we're working very diligently um, to make this a state where people can succeed based off of individual merits and trying to apply the, the principles of the free market while recognizing that their God-given gifts are very, very different for folks. And we have folks with physical and intellectual limitations that are by no choosing of their own and they need more help from the state than others. And, you know, government can't, doesn't exist to guarantee your success, but it exists to set an environment that you can succeed to the maximum of your God-given potential. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're working very diligently uh, to that end, day in and day out, be it through taxes, through, you know, limited regulations, through support of be it veterans communities, minority communities, et cetera, really trying to make this the best place uh, in the nation to succeed to the maximum of your God-given potential. Absolutely, and we're all, again, very thankful for that. And I think you're the leading senior veteran in the state of Kentucky government, but uh, um, we, we definitely need and want to encourage absolutely more military veterans, military-connected, military-affiliate people to raise that hand, as you mentioned, and take ownership and be part of the decision-making process. Senator, any final words? Um, no, I mean, you know, you, you, you do mention, and I, I think that probably in Frankfurt I might be, uh, but obviously we've got Congressman Brett Guthrie um, from down the Bowling Green area, who's a, who's a West Point grad, uh, serving us at the federal level, and we're very proud of him. And I think that the, the most important thing that uh, I would really want to leave people with uh, 
I had talked about earlier. Uh, I had wonderful experiences escorting around governors, senators, astronauts, generals, admirals, and at the end of the day I really realized um, we're all people with uh, limitations of one type or another. The biggest limitation we all have is time. Um, it, it is the great equalizer in this world, and I'm grateful that uh, the time I've spent on the streets, knocking on doors, asking for votes, um, speaking to people ha has given me the opportunity to spend my time doing this. And um, to the extent people have time in their schedules, I would encourage them to be involved in their government, contact us, and um, you know, make this work. The nation is a wonderful nation, and so many people have sacrificed immeasurably to make it great. Um, we owe it to the previous generations and the future generations Absolutely. to be involved in the present, and, and I certainly hope that people will. Absolutely. Sir, if, they, if there is someone out there that does want to reach out to you, we'll put that information in the show notes with your permission, but yeah. uh, is there any special way that they should reach out? Is that through a website or email or what's that case? Sure. The best way is um, my email. It's chris.mcdaniel at lrc.ky.gov. Well, again, sir, we greatly appreciate your time you took to talk about your living history on Tactically Acquired and all that you do for not only our military veterans and their families, but for all the citizens of the great state of Kentucky. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Rusty. I Thank appreciate you. the time.